You guys get up on your feet, find somebody and tell them good morning. Bring your time, bring your shame, bring your guilt, bring your pain. Don't you know it's not your name? You will always be much more than me. Every day I wrestle with the voices that keep telling me I'm not right, but that's all right. Cause I hear a voice and it calls me every day when others say I'll never be enough. And greater is the world living inside of me than he who is living in the world. Oh, I am learning to run 
have a seat. The countdown happens and the cheers just erupt everywhere. They jump up with joy. They jump up with smiles. <laughs> They've just now got their boxes. They're opening them. And the fun is watching the children. This could be the first present that they've ever received. These children just received the shoe boxes. You can see how excited they are. Christmas child gifts really touches children's heart. This shoebox is a demonstration of the love of God. During distribution, we tell children that there is a God who created us and who loved us. Jesus loves you. Ah, good. Volunteers from all walks of life and all ages love packing Operation Christmas Child Shoebox gifts. What an amazing moment and opportunity to show people, to really show people the love of God. Samaritan's Purse would not be able to do Operation Christmas Child without this army of volunteers. They're like angels. It's just a special opportunity to reach people with the love of Christ. By the way, we are so grateful for these boxes and what they represent. Lives are being changed and souls are being saved and the Lord is receiving the glory. So to God, I'm, I'm about to cry, please. Once you pack the shoebox, from there they'll be sent all around the world. And that is only the beginning. After children receive gifts, we welcome them to the Greatest Journey 12 Lesson Discipleship Program. The program introduces them to Jesus Christ and teaches them stories from the Bible. It sets a good Christian foundation for them and sends them on a brand new journey of life. Isn't it incredible to see the impact these simple gifts are making in the lives of children all over the world? Millions of boys and girls are hearing and responding in faith and then taking the gospel truly to the ends of the earth. A lot of these children, their life is absolutely transformed. Jesus said, let them come to me. And we're in the middle of bringing the children to Jesus. What amazes me the most is the miracles in each box. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your continued support. Many children around the world still need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We always need more shoeboxes. So keep packing. Thank you. And God bless. new to Carpenter's Way, and that's in the last 11 months, then you are not aware how neck deep we get involved with Operation Christmas Child. It is a ministry of Samaritan's Pur a Samaritan Purse, which is uh, Franklin Graham's ministry. And basically what they do is they spread the gospel across the globe through these Christmas gifts. 
And um, I've had the privilege, as uh, if you've been at Carpenter's Way, you know, of going to Panama and actually going on several distributions. Uh, and basically what they do is they send these shoe boxes into churches that are already established, and they work with the pastor to help develop these young people. So they, uh, they use it as an opportunity to present the gospel, and then they invite them back for an 11-week course on, on, on discipleship, on growing them up in their faith. And this takes pastors who have little to no training globally, and it teaches them how to disciple as well as reach people for Christ. And it is a wonderful ministry if you have not been a part of it. And every one of us can participate. Um, we have uh, in two ways. Number one is to pack a shoebox. Uh, there are boxes you can take back there, or you can go to Hobby Lobby. They have little plastic ones available, and uh, there are lists at the table. And actually, in the worship guide, how to pack a shoebox, there are, because these go global. So here's what happens. People pack the boxes. We have a second way that we support Operation Christmas Child. We are the regional hub for about 50 miles in every direction. Uh, every community has a collection area, and then uh, they bring their boxes here. We pack them into semi-trucks, and we send them on to Dallas, where they, each one of them are opened to make sure that there is nothing illegal in them, at which time they are repacked and they are sent across the globe. It is a wonderful, wonderful ministry. Um, so pack a shoebox or two. Pack it with your grandkids, your kids, a great way for them to minister. But the other thing is we need volunteers during the week of collection, um, and that week is in the worship guide as well. I'm not going to look for it right now. <clears throat> but the last week before Thanksgiving, we collect Monday to Monday, and then on that last Monday, we load the semi-trucks. So we need people who will take boxes in, who will, uh, who, uh, who will pack the truck on that Monday. So we need strong backs. Um, but, and there is a sign-up sheet out there. We have a display built. There's a sign-up sheet, and we need you to sign up. Even if you can't pick boxes up, we need people to do registration and different things. So for all of your capabilities uh, of any age, we need you involved. This is a great ministry. It is a global ministry, and uh, we, uh, we would appreciate your involvement there. So a couple things. What, how, how Carpenter's Way, we celebrate this season. We, uh, our major ministry emphasis is Operation Christmas Child. Again, like I said, there's information in the worship guide about that, as well as the date election date. We need you to jump in there. Then the following Tuesday, uh, we have our Agape Feast. That is our church's annual, um, man, it's a, it's, it's a huge feast, and everybody brings food, and we just have a celebration. It's, we just eat that night, and, and uh, it's our Thanksgiving meal. It's the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, and we want you to come out for that. It's free. You just bring a, bring a, a plate to share. And then uh, that starts our season of celebration and growth. And uh, another thing that uh, we do, and this year, Julie, where are you? Is uh, ladies have a banquet this year, and Julie's going to share a little more information on that. Good morning. I talked to you all a little bit about that last week, uh, and I just wanted to go through a couple more details. So uh, we are having a, a Christmas event for the ladies on Tuesday, December 3rd. And we are starting to sell tickets today, so um, I'll be out there at the at the table at the women's ministry table um, after service. If you'd like to go ahead and purchase your ticket, I know some of you already signed up. You can come get your ticket, and I'll check your name off. Um, and the other thing is to go along with our um, event. We are also um, doing going through a Bible study on Advent, and um, you know you see the faces of the kids, and you know you just kind of get it's infectious, and there is a lot of anticipation when it comes to the holidays. 
and the whole idea of Advent is that anticipation, but not for necessarily the presence, but for the, the greatest gift that was ever given. And so we're going to be doing a study on Advent and going through some of those weeks. Um, and I just wanted to encourage you ladies to do that. We are going to start on Wednesday morning is our first week of that. But we've also added a Sunday evening time, which I'm not looking at it. Is it? Um, here we go. I don't know what date that is, Mark. Um, Sundays starting November 10th. <laughs> there we go. Um, so if you're interested and you weren't able to do the daytime slot, we've now opened an, an evening slot for you. And if you're interested in that, there's a sign up out there for that as well. So thank you. Lots of stuff going on that we want you to be a part of and encourage you to and, in, and ministry opportunities. Do you, uh, I don't, is Chastity's not in here? What is the collection week? Do you know offhand? It's, it's, the 18th is on there. We'll, we'll have those dates. Uh, next Sunday in the worship guide, oh, November 18th through the 25th is our collection week. So we need you to volunteer for that week. Uh, build boxes before then. Ladies event coming up. Your, your Bible study classes, I want to remind you that that uh, we have kind of a large flock, uh, generally speaking, and that means that it's hard to build relationships in a room like this. And so we've broken our church down into Bible studies. Uh, there are some that take place at 8 o'clock on Sunday mornings. Most of them take place right after church on Sundays. And most of them will be having, I think all of them will be having some sort of Christmas event. So make sure that you put those things on your calendar to build relationships and fellowship. And, and we certainly want to encourage you on that. And then the Agape Feast coming up next Sunday in the Worship Guide. I'll make sure that we have all these things that you can put on the calendar. But a lot of fun, you guys. This is Christmas is our season. It's when God fulfilled his promise to send his, his son so that people could be redeemed. And uh, so we go into, we go into a, a, a party mode, and, and uh, so it's an awful lot of fun of that. Um, I want to mention also that next Sunday evening at 5 o'clock is our annual business meeting. Uh, in your worship guide is an insert. Mark, why don't you come on up? Uh, is an insert about that. Uh, for those of you who are members of Carpenter's Way, you will be voting on our budget for 2020. Uh, you can get a copy of it out in the uh, welcome area. Please take one per family. Take a chance to look over that. If you have any questions, you can ask the elders. You can ask Karen, who is our financial secretary. Um, we're glad to answer questions. Uh, also in the worship guide is our nominees for church offices, uh, financial nominee, uh, finance team, mission investment, as well as elder. Uh, these are not one or the other votes. They are yes or no votes. If you have any concerns about any of these people, we put it in the worship guide so that you can ask these questions and we can interact with you. Uh, we will not be entertaining at that meeting questions on the individuals. We feel like that's counterproductive and we're here to build people up. You can have questions and we want to answer those. We've gone through an interviewing process with these folks, but if you have questions, ask before the meeting. There will be questions allowed for the budget, but we ask you ask those ahead of time too so that we can give you a complete answer. So that's next Sunday night. I want to make sure I've gone through everything. Lots of stuff going on. Um, I think that does it, Mark. Good morning. Uh, it's hard to believe that another year is kind of coming and going pretty quickly, but this is the time of year where we like to recognize our staff by taking up a staff love offering, just our way of showing our appreciation for the ministry and the work that they do in our lives and the lives of this church, and we just appreciate them. So there's a love offering envelope uh, in your worship guide, and over the next few weeks until December 1st, We'll be taking up those gifts, so if you have an opportunity, just put something in the plate and just our way of showing them how much we love and thank them for their ministry. Thank you. All right, I'm going to ask the uh, ushers to come forward uh, so we can take our offering. 
this morning. If you're visiting with us, this is the one part of our service we ask you not to uh, participate in. This is for those who attend here regularly as we uh, commit to uh, taking care of our missionaries and our ministries and all. This is kind of a cool day for Julie and I because this is the first time in a couple of years I think I've had all three of my children here in this room. And uh, so it's great to have them here. It'll be good for them to hear some good preaching for once. And uh, so the message is really geared towards them. And uh, anyway, oh, they, they just took their offering envelopes and put them back in their pockets. So once again, humor costs deeply. <laughs> all right. Anyway, let's, uh, let's pray and commit our time to the Lord. Father, we thank you for uh, this morning and all the exciting things that are beginning with this season and the cold weather's in and it kind of feels like it, it starts feeling like holidays and Lord I, I just I just love this time I, I love the chance that we get to get together and eat food and celebrate your grace to our families and you are a, you are a God who loves festivals uh, you loved uh, you you create at least seven festivals for your people to get together and eat and celebrate your grace and your mercy and we want to do that from Thanksgiving to Christmas we, we want to celebrate just your blessings and uh, we want to do that as a church as well as encourage our families to. Lord, I, I look around this room. I watch on the Internet. There's lots of our folks out hunting today, fathers with sons and daughters and, um, and women out hunting. We're thankful that they can do that. We pray for great success and safety. We pray you keep them safe. Father, I want, to, I want to thank you for the ministries that go on in this community. Lord, we pray for the churches that will be opening your word this morning, that you will bless them. I, I think especially this morning for Brothers Keepers as they're celebrating uh, 24 years of ministry, we pray you'd bless them and, and uh, continue to supply their needs. And Father, we pray you'd continue to supply ours. And um, that as the year uh, we continue to do some renovation on the building and let us build relationships, at the end of the day, what we want is we want people to know you better. So we, we just ask you to allow us to continue to do that, take care of our needs, bring people in as you see fit, and may we grow each other up, spurring each other on to love and good deeds. We commit the rest of our service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As the offering plate passes, you guys are more than welcome to stand and worship.
victorious now sits upon his throne forever he is worshiped glory to before God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My victory and honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. O oh, my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge.
grace alone somehow I stand where even angels fear to tread invited by redeeming love before the throne of God above he pulls me close with nail-scarred hands into his everlasting arms when condemnation grips my heart and Satan tempts me to despair I hear the voice that scatters fear The great I am, the Lord is here No praise the one who fights for me And shields my soul eternally Holy, I approach your throne. Blameless now, I'm running home. And by your blood, I come, welcomed as your own, into the arms of majesty. Risen sun, more beauty than this world has known. I'm face to face with love Himself, His perfect, spotless righteousness. Oh, a thousand years, a thousand tongues are not.
This is the art of celebration, knowing we're free from condemnation. Oh, praise the one, and praise the one who made an end to all my sin. Boldly I approach, oh, and boldly I approach your stand in the corner and hope that you let us in, Lord, that we can, we can bust the door open and we can run straight to your lap and, and jump in. And so God, I ask, Lord, that I know in our flesh this is hard. This is hard to grasp our, around, to get our heart and our minds around, Lord, that we can boldly come to you. But I ask, Lord, that that truth would settle in this morning. I ask, Lord, that that truth would just wash over us, that it would go down deep, Lord, that, that we are yours. You're the one who declares us righteous. You're the one who declares us holy. It's all you, Lord, and we thank you so much that you call us your own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You should be seated. Yeah, I, I love that song. Um, and and I, I know you do as well because I heard you singing it. Um, sometimes it's hard for us to remember all that has happened because of what Jesus Christ did. And we are so fixated on not going to hell, and that's a good thing. But we forget that because of that, we can boldly approach the throne. We can run home. You can run into Jesus' arms. And uh, I encourage you to do that. Wherever you're at, whatever you're struggling with, He invites you to run to Him. He doesn't love you less because you are a struggling Christian. You are His adopted child and He adores you. Uh, what, a, what a wonderful song. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Really, really good. Uh, for those of you who are visiting with us this morning, in a little while we are going to take communion together, and we invite you to take with us if you are a child of God. You don't have to be Carpenter's Way family, you don't have to be Baptist, you just need to be a child of God, uh, because that's what this is. This is a reminder, we're going to have a, a, a good time around the table uh, in, a, in a few moments. But as we prepare for that, I want to take you, uh, we are in a series right now on uh, the life of Jesus actually on the screen is the question we're trying to answer. Who is this man? It was a question that the disciples, even two years into the ministry with Jesus, were asking themselves, who is this guy? Because the more that he did, the more it blew their minds what he could do. Uh, in fact, a few weeks ago, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then Peter walks on water that night, and then they get in the boat together, the disciples, the, the, the other 11, actually asked Jesus, or say to Jesus, you really are the Son of God. 
Uh, and and we don't, we, we've heard that story about 7,000 times, so we don't think about what they said too much. We kind of go, yeah, man, they were just trying to figure it out. But do you realize that they said that to him as if they were surprised? Whoa, you really are that guy. And he had to, you know, like I, like I said a couple weeks ago, he had to be like, duh, I told you that. But you just don't get it. You don't wrap your minds around it. Well, I think the same is true of Christianity in general. I think that we grow, grew up in a culture, all of us, and me in San Diego, you in East Texas, most of you, some of you up in the great Northeast, uh, wherever you come from, we grew up, those of us who were saved at young age, really just talking about hell and heaven. And, and, and every once in a while you would hear about a relationship with God not being religious, and you kind of nod and you go, yeah, yeah. But I don't think we really understand just how significant that statement is. And this morning in our study of who is Jesus, and, and, and again, like I said, we're trying to discover, and, and it, takes real, it takes real discipline to shove out the things that we accept about Jesus and go back to the Scriptures to find out what He says about Himself, especially in the Gospels. Who does Jesus present Himself to be? And in this study, as I've talked to a lot of you and, and in email and text messages, I think a lot of us are a little bit surprised at the things that seem to surprise the disciples jesus boldness um i i think that for many of us we're 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 sitting it feels like we're kind of walking along with the disciples and discovering the things that they're discovering and the more we get into it the more you actually do kind of go wow who is this guy that we call lord that we we paint pictures of and and we talk so flippantly about and to who is this man and the answer is he's god he isn't just 100% man. He's 100% God. He's not just 100% God. He's also 100% man. So he has the feelings and, and, and temptations of a man, but he has the divinity of God, the power and authority that comes with that. Well, this morning, we're going to find ourselves um, back in the story. And, and certainly, when we, when we study the life of Jesus Christ, we have a tendency to study the big things, um, raising the dead, feeding the thousands with a few loaves of bread, walking on water, and those are amazing stories. But in between the feedings and the healings and the teachings even of the disciples, there was something that started way back at the beginning of his ministry when the Jews realized that Jesus was not going to be part of their program. I want to remind you that very early on after Jesus' baptism, the Jewish religious leaders send a guy you're familiar with, and it's recorded in John 3, named Nicodemus, to make peace with Jesus. He comes at night to negotiate a relationship. And how do we know that? This was part of our study. Because Jesus cuts to the chase. I want to remind you that all, people ask Jesus questions, but he often doesn't answer their questions. He changes the dialogue to the questions he really wants to answer. Because people want to talk about silly things. Jesus wants to get to the core. And one of those examples in John 3, when Nicodemus comes at, him, comes at night and he says, good teacher, we, and he starts this dialogue with him, and Jesus cuts to the chase and says, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Whoa. And you remember that it's off to the races. Nicodemus begins asking, well, how can a man get back in his mother's tummy? <laughs> High five. And Jesus said, unless a man is born of the water, of water, physical birth, and the spirit. He won't see the kingdom of God. And then he explains later in John 3, a verse everybody's familiar with, whether they go to church or not. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him won't perish, but have eternal life. Jesus Christ cuts to the chase that this is about life. This is, 
This is about a real relationship with God, not just religion, and that is very, very hard for me to explain, and it's very, very hard for you to get through your very thick Christian skin. And it's not a slam, it's just that we are very Christian, and sometimes being Christian keeps you from intimacy with God. You'll see my point in a moment. I'm going to ask the Lord to open your hearts and help my mouth, and Lord Jesus, I believe that this text is one of the most important we can ever study together. I know I say that every week, and it's true every week in my heart, but this is huge. And, and so, Father, it's, it's not the sexiest text. It's not the most entertaining text. We can't make little, uh, little cardboard cutouts of it. It's just you confronting the truth. And so I pray, Lord, that before we go into communion together, we will understand that this was never about a revolutionary religion. It was about a relationship with the living God. Help us to see that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In Mark chapter 7, it tells us, verse 1, one day, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, did not eat until they poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups and pitchers and kettles. So we have Mark, who's recording this gospel, as an eyewitness to Jesus Christ, and he wants to explain to Gentile readers, non-Jewish readers, what the context of this conversation is. This conversation does not take place in a vacuum. Jesus has just walked, uh, just led... Uh, um, Peter to walk on water. He has just had a conversation with Jewish people to explain that unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you will not have part in the kingdom, which freaked them out. So he pulls the disciples aside, and I want to remind you that the crowd left that day because it says that his teaching was so hard. And Jesus then, the 12 are behind him, and I want you to really see this. The disciples, every time Jesus preached, Every time he healed somebody, every time after he healed somebody, he taught and it offended people. The disciples weren't all like, yeah, high five, he's great. They sat quiet. A lot of times, they just looked at him going, what is going on here? And in last week's text, you remember that after we went through it, after Jesus preached to the crowd that you've got to eat his flesh and drink his blood as a way of pushing their buttons, he then turns to the twelve and he asked them, are you going to leave too? That's not very nice. And they say, no. And he says, why not? And they say, where else can we find eternal life? And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit has told you that. And then they got up and went to the next village. And to the best of our knowledge, this is what happens in that village. He's followed by the Pharisees and the religious leaders who notice, who are obsessed with ancient traditions. Again, context, a little before the time of Christ, the Jewish religious leaders memorialized traditional religious activities that in their defense had been created to help people keep the Sabbath, to keep the Ten Commandments, but they created uh, books of laws that would help the Jews actually maintain the main law. The problem was that over time they began to worship the man-made laws more than God's laws. Let me read to you directly from a couple of these books. Rabbi Eleazar said, he who expounds the scriptures in opposition of our tradition has no share in the world to come. I know you don't, I, I thought about putting it on the screen, but you can hear me and understand. 
In other words, if anybody says that the Scriptures are more important than our traditions, they're going to hell. That's what he said. The Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish traditions in the Talmud, which is a recording written somewhere five years uh, A.D., 5 A.D., or or B.C., I'm sorry, five years uh, before what we now know as B.C., so somewhere around seven to ten years before Jesus' birth, this collection was put together and memorialized. This is what it says. It is a greater offense, all right, just let your mind get that, it is a greater offense to teach anything contrary to the voice of the rabbi than to contradict Scripture itself. In other words, if you, if you violate the Mishnah, if you violate the traditions, if you violate the teachings and the mores and the moral law of the Jewish religious leaders, it is a worse offense than violating the Scriptures. Uh, just in case you're not clear on this, this should not be a foreign concept to you because the church constantly teaches you lies. And I do say lies because they're lies. The Scripture never says drinking is a sin, for instance, but most of us, maybe, not, maybe all of us, grew up being taught that. It may not be smart. It may lead to problems. But it doesn't say that, and no matter how many times people say it, it doesn't make it true. I have been told on multiple occasions, we understand you, you're from Southern California, that makes you whatever. And you may know the Bible better than I do. This is a pastor speaking, and it's one of the most shocking things I've ever heard. But I know Baptists better than you, and you ain't it. To which I went, you should see my church, man. They are really whacked. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't say that. But the truth is that, is, that is, in effect, the same thing. You realize that, right? When we are more committed to our traditional upbringing, if you grew up in a charismatic culture that says, you need to speak in tongues to be saved, you have left the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians clearly says that not everybody speaks in tongues who are part of the family of God. It says that. There is a verse that says that. That is doing what they're doing here. When you add to the Scriptures, you are doing what they're doing here. That's what's gone on. The Pharisees saw that the disciples of Jesus were ignoring their super important traditions, which they considered more important than even the Scriptures. Because of that, in Mark 7, you have these religious leaders calling out Jesus because a rabbi was responsible for the behavior of his followers. So they didn't, go to the, they didn't go to the disciples per se, they went to Jesus who's responsible. Now I, I want to warn you as we go through this, not to get caught up in the listed rules that they're going to address. I want you to hear the heart of Jesus. Satan, and I mean the horned guy, he doesn't have horns, he's an angel of white, but that guy, he wants you and I to obsess over the rules. He wants us to argue over Calvin and Arminius. He wants us to debate over what version of the Bible you use. Satan wants us to debate the difference between the assemblies of God and the Baptists. Because when we're, not do- when we're doing that, we are not obsessed with him. Anything that are- takes our eyes off of Jesus is a problem for the child of God. Because we are not a religious movement. We are followers of the king. Well, it says in SBC Church on the side, Just to be clear, for those of you who don't know Carpenter's Way well, the only SBC in our church is our mission program. We are accountable to God through the Scriptures and the elders that oversee this church. We are autonomous and we follow God. That's why we do some weird things that many Baptist churches don't do. We are following God. For instance, we anoint people with oil and we pray for healing for them. That's what James 4 says, that we believe that. We've seen people healed. We've seen others not healed. But we we believe in those things. 
We don't have an altar call every Sunday despite being called to surrender your life to the Lord. We are trying to follow the Scriptures. We have an elder council. Most Baptist churches do not. Why? Why are you like that? Because we are trying to follow the Scriptures. But in this text, do not get caught up in the debate between the Pharisees and Jesus because Jesus is going to point out why he has a problem with them. Verse 5, so the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. So for those of you, now, now look, that, that's in there. It's the inspired word of God. Mark is recording it as he remembers it. So Jesus isn't the peacemaker everybody thinks he is. That is not how you start a discussion to negotiate peace. When you call somebody a hypocrite, now today we know that is a negative term. Back in the biblical times, it meant an actor or actress. But you're fakers. You fakers. <laughs> Jesus replied, you fakers. Isaiah was right about you. I lost my place. Isaiah was right about you when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I mean, that's, Kind of intense, right? Their worship is a... Okay, in case you're wondering what the Greek word means there, it means it's a joke. For they teach man-made ideas as the commands of God. I've already set you up for the context of that. These people were teaching man-made rituals like hand-washing as God's ordinance. And as usual, as I already mentioned this, Jesus ignores their question and shoots right to the heart of the issue that he wants to address. Verse 8, for you ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. So just, just take a breath because I want to point something out to you. In case you're wondering who the Jewish religious leaders were, the Pharisees, they were the Baptist and assemblies of God of their day. They were. They were the ones who studied the Scriptures. They were the right-wing conservatives. They were the nationalists. Hey, and I, I know some of you are like, why do you keep missioning Assemblies of God? Because about, I'd say probably about 40% of our church grew up Assemblies of God. If that doesn't shock you, that's how weird this church is. <laughs> the, the truth is that we grew up with an idea, being taught thoughts, things that touched our hearts, some of us more conservative or legalistic, some of us more emotional, and what it did is Satan used it to take our eyes off of God. Verse 9, then Jesus said, you skillfully, take a note, that's an important word, you with great skill, Pharisees, trained teachers of the law, people who are respected, pastors, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God, honor your father and your mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of a father or mother should, must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God whatever I would have given to you. In this way, you let them disregard their needy parents. And in an effort to explain to you, my friends, that the church has not changed today, what these people are doing is they were instructed based upon the old covenant law to take care of father and mother, to respect them. And it was understood in the law that when your, their parents became old, they were to take them in and minister to them. That was part of the Jewish law. But what was happening was the rabbis, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of their day were saying, look, there's one caveat you have. If you will give the money you would have used to help your parents to us, 
we'll give you a get-out-of-jail-free card. That's called a money play. You can use God as an excuse to make me rich. That's what's going on here. Verse 13, why does he bring this up? And so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is only one example among many others. Now, now get this. This is how cool our Jesus is. Please understand that what the Pharisees are doing, okay, is they are trying to shame him on a regular basis in front of the crowds that he is, he is convincing that he's God. He's healing the sick. He's feeding. He's doing miraculous things. And what the Pharisees would do is after in each of these occasions, he would teach. You remember that from our study. He would open the door for question and answers, and he would do some teaching. And uh, because Jesus in the, in, in the Sermon on the Mount said, seek, ask, question, 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 study, study, study. Well, he would open the door, and these Pharisees, and sometimes they would send others who weren't Pharisees, but people who were charged by the Pharisees, they would get in the crowd, and they would ask questions to shame Jesus. Well, Jesus wasn't afraid of the truth, and that's what's so cool about what he does. So after he says to them, you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition, he's talking to these guys, and this is only one example among others. Then Jesus called the crowd to come in here. Hey, everybody, in case you haven't heard this conversation, come here. That had to freak the Pharisees out. Are you kidding me? He's actually asking the crowd to hear this stuff? All of you listen, he said. And I want you to try to understand. It is not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what, eat, what comes from your heart. And it's not recorded here, but I'm sure at this point he said, for instance, have you ever been to Chicago and eaten a hot dog? They are really good. Because what he's talking about now had to really send the Pharisees over the edge. He's talking about food. And if you know very little about Jewish tradition, you know that they don't eat pork. And Jesus just said, bacon's okay. Amen. There is going to be bacon jalapeno poppers at the marriage supper of the Lamb. This proves it. Let's close in prayer. Wait till you see what I'm serving for communion today. You've you, you got to wrap your mind around Jesus. Jesus isn't trying to tick people off to tick them off. He's trying to say that religion doesn't work. For those of you who just read through the, or is reading through the Bible with me this year, if you spent the time in the Old Testament, which was really hard and really long, and really grueling. It's supposed to be. Because if you want to know what the Old Testament is, it's a story of people trying to redeem themselves. Starting in the garden where there was no sin among them. All they had to do was not eat of the wrong tree. And they couldn't keep that one rule. Then God set up a sacrificial system for the grandkids of the sinners. And what does one do? Kills the other because he wants to bring his own sacrifice. Then all of a sudden they had to get in a, get in a big boat. And only eight get in the boat. And you go on with the story. They get out of the boat and within a year they're violating each other. And then God creates through Abraham a covenant that I'm going to bless the nation of the world through you. And you guys, you will win, win, win in every turn. You will have an incredible nation. Everything that Donald Trump promised us. God promised. All you got to do is keep these 10 rules. And I'll write a couple books to help you understand those 10 rules. They couldn't keep 10 for more than a day. God opens up the ground and swallows them up. And the Old Testament is nothing but story after story about man trying to redeem himself in his own wisdom and God saying, I got a better plan. I'm going to make it free. You see, the Jews thought if they added more rules to the 10 they couldn't keep, that they would be able to keep them, which is ridiculous. 
but it's just like us. You see, the problem with the church in, in tradition is we told you if you didn't drink, you were good enough. We forgot to add eating too much or smoking. We forgot to add all the other rules that make you super spiritual, like gossip. I mean, we, we like to label the things that we don't do and talk about how wicked people who do them are, like homosexuals. It is, as, as we've gone through over the last six months and, and gone through this, what is sacred marriage on Wednesday night, it is incredible to me, and it should be to you, and I just want you to think about this, it is incredible to me how shallow thinking the church has begun and allowed Satan to trigger us. Biblical marriage is not between a male and a female, it's between a godly man and a godly woman. That's biblical marriage. A man and a woman who are Satanists can get married. That's not a biblical image of marriage. A biblical image of marriage is a man who surrendered to the Lord to a woman who surrendered to the Lord who served the Lord together, and in turn, they become close. We have allowed ourselves, <clears throat> you have allowed yourself to be so dumbed down <laughs> that whatever sounds good and tickles your ears is seductive. And that's what happened here. Don't let it happen to you. Well, how do I not? You've got to study the Scriptures. So I think I've said that every week forever, and I know it's going to take time, but there is no antidote to the deception of the evil one except the Word of God. You've got to know God from His Word. So Jesus calls the crowd together, and He says, it's not what goes into your body that defiles you. are defiled by what comes from your heart. After he says that to the crowd, as he always does, and we could use the modern term triggering, they go into a house. Verse 17, then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd. <laughs> Isn't he a piece of work? He, he says something that probably blew their minds, and then he goes in the house. Do you know why he does that? Because he doesn't want religious followers. He wants thinkers. He wants a relationship. If you are frustrated with your spouse because they think for themselves, you do not want a relationship, you want a slave. The good thing about a marriage is you don't think alike. It means together we work through things. I, I have a different angle and a different understanding. God wants the crowds to question. Remember, He said it in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek, knock, ask. That's a theme of Jesus' whole ministry. Seek, knock, ask. Seek, knock, ask. And those who were perplexed, most of them walked away. You want to know the difference between a person? Not there yet. Verse 17. Then Jesus went into the house to get away from the crowd. And his disciples go with him. And his disciples ask him what he meant by the parable he just used. That's code for what? These were Jewish boys who never tasted bacon. They had never had a Nathan's hot dog. They wanted one. When you smell bacon, you've got to have it. They wanted it. It was called temptation. But they had never tasted that. And Jesus just said, and they thought that made them good. They thought that made them, they could be buried and they would be buried as good Jews because they never tasted bacon. It's an incredible story. I want you to pay attention here. While Jesus is healing and feeding and minister by teaching, the religious leaders come to him and they come at him because his followers don't wash their hands in the religious way. 
Jesus tells them that they have thrown God's law away and replaced it with their own tradition. And he tells them why that's a problem. The reason it's a problem is it's not what you eat that makes you unclean. It's the condition of your heart, which blew their minds. And then he goes into a house with the 12 who've been watching all of this. And it appears to have first opportunity. Say, Jesus, do you have a second? Yes. What the heck are you talking about? I don't understand that parable. Because these boys had to be confused because their whole life they were convinced that if they kept the law, and oh, by the way, Jesus is God's Messiah, the promised one from the Old Covenant, so He must be here to make sure we keep the law, and Jesus just told them that it's not about keeping the law. I hope you're grasping that Jesus rarely finishes a lesson, and I, and I, I want to say this again, and I've already said it three or four times. Jesus' goal in His teaching is not to answer every question. He's to get you to ask, to search, to seek, because that's the difference between a relationship and, sl and slaves. You and I have been invited. We just sang a song that says we can boldly approach the throne of God. The reason we can boldly approach is because we're not servants. There's a lot of little things that we think and say. We're trying to understand this whole thing. And there's a lot of things that we say that are kind of dumb. For instance, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but when a Christian dies, they do not become an angel in heaven. That would be a reduction in status. We are God's kids. They are His servants. When a, when a person dies as a child of God, they go home, not to their new station. An earlier song that Chad wrote quotes Hebrews chapter uh, 4, and I think verse 10, and it says, those who have, uh, have entered their rest are no longer working. It's talking about death. When, when you die as a child of God, you go into your rest. Heaven is where you are served and treated like royalty, not deserving it. That's the whole idea of throwing crowns down. I remember as a kid being taught that and thinking, gosh, what if I want to keep my crown? It sounds like a pretty cool thing. The problem is, it's not about the crown or the item. It's about going, why am I even here? And God going, that's the question I want you to answer. You're here because of my mercy and grace. And I love you. It's what you say to your grandkids when you make them that perfect piece of cake or you do something special for your grandkid and they're just... <gasps> <gasps> you must love me. Oh, I love you so much. I'm about to have that grandkid. And I think Zach and Hannah think I'm going to raise that grandkid. <laughs> do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to spoil the devil into that grandkid. I'm going to make that grandkid think he's so special that they have to spend the next break from grandpa to teach him he's not that special. Then he's going to come over again and little Sammy's going to be treated like royalty and then they're going to have to retrain him. Because <laughs> I have the privilege of loving that child. Jesus goes into the house and the disciples ask him what he meant by the parable. Because they want to understand him. Remember in last week's text when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood? The crowd leaves and it says because his teaching is hard. The disciples don't. Why? Because they are convinced he is their only answer. And when you're convinced he's your only answer, you don't walk away. You just go, what are you talking about? Help me understand. Because a relationship is different than just religion. Religion says learn the rules. Relationship said, please help me, Dad. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I don't know how to explain it better than that. But when crowds leave Jesus, it's because he doesn't meet their expectations. When the disciples stay, it's not because they like his teaching. 
It's not because they understand his teaching. It's because they are convinced he is the answer and they just want a better explanation. And sometimes he does and sometimes he does not. Let me go back. And I, I, got, a, I got some texts last week asking, uh, I don't know anything about Calvinism and Arminianism, so would you explain it to me? The answer is no, don't worry about it. It's become a distraction. But I want to use this as an example to the church, those of you who do. It's none of your business. He's God. And there are sections of Scripture that say, whosoever will may come. And so anybody who wants to be saved can. But on the other side, it says chosen before the foundation of the world. And they're both in Scripture and they're both taught. And I think God forgot that they confuse us. No, He didn't. He wants us to go, I don't get this. I know. Well, aren't you going to explain it? Not today. Don't you do that with your kids? You don't explain everything to them because some things they don't need to be explained to. In fact, some things you hold back so that they will simply listen to you if you're a good parent. You see, the problem today is we think that five-year-old kids understand the world, so we try to explain the world to them. Five-year-olds don't understand the world, nor should they be explained the world. I've told you before that one of the things we did when our kids were young is when they would ask a question about sexuality that had become more rampant and all these things, we would say, uh, Anna, uh, I love you very much, and I could explain the answer of that question to you, but sweetheart, part of my job as your dad is to decide what you can carry. So here's the deal. Although I can tell you the answer to that question, it's like carrying a heavy box. Once you pick it up, though, you can't put it down. So today we're not going to carry that box. Okay, Daddy. Because I am the keeper of truth. I'm the protector of little minds. Now, I also start telling my kids they got older, if you keep asking these questions, I'm going to answer them. And I remember the time that Zach said, Dad, I need, and this was before he understood all the things about sexuality, and he said, Dad, I have a question for you. And he asked, and I said, okay, son, you're about the age where this question is going to be answered. But remember, I'm going to pick up that box and put it in your hands, and you're going to have to carry it for the rest of your life. And after that, he started saying, Dad, I have a question, but I think the box is too heavy. I'll hit you with it later. <laughs> he trusted me. He knew me. And the day came when I answered the questions. It was time. But it wasn't at that point. The problem with the Pharisees, the people who leave, is when Jesus didn't answer the questions to their liking, they walked away. Zach trusted me. Anna trusted me. Do you trust God? What if he doesn't explain Calvinism versus Arminian, predestination and election? Well, I'm going to leave your church. Okay, but you can't leave the Bible. It says stuff. And, and, and you can go find a tradition that tells you that that stuff isn't in there, but it's still in there. And you've got to at some point decide, Jesus is worth sticking with because he is your only hope, right? That's a relationship. And you can knock, seek, and ask, and you can study what John Calvin had to say, or Joseph Arminius, or Pastor Mark, or John MacArthur on women, or Beth Moore on whatever. You can study them, but I got news for you. They are just religious leaders. Only Jesus has the answer. And when you study the scriptures, sometimes he gives it. For instance, the rapture. Most of you are probably pretty convinced on the rapture. The only problem is it doesn't mention the rapture in scripture. Please do not write me 50 emails on why you believe in the rapture. I believe in it too, about 62.35%. And that's because Tim LaHaye was my pastor. He's the one who invented it. He didn't invent the idea, but he explained it. He knows more about the return of Christ than Jesus does. <laughs> so I, in turn, know more than you do about it, but I'm not going to answer your questions. It, it's just that it's just it's got, it worked out. Jesus actually told the disciples, after the resurrection, on the way to being ascended, 
The disciples look at Jesus and they say, so it's now when you're going to start the kingdom? Does anybody remember what Jesus said to them? It's none of your business. Thank you for asking. Well, I don't like that answer. That's because you want to be in control. So is it free will or election? That's because you want to be in control. That's the problem. The truth is, we got to get back to trust and love and dependence. we got to do what Chad let us in and the worship team let us in this morning. we got to run back to the throne. We should run like a child. I love you. And you know what's cool is, we have testimony in Scripture that even if you look ridiculous, Jesus will not kick you away. I give you the woman at the dinner, Jesus having dinner with the Pharisee, and the woman who is a harlot comes and she holds his feet and it infers while he's eating, she's kissing his feet and she's taking the perfume with which she, she anoints her bed and she anoints his feet with it and the whole time she's kissing his feet. I think Jesus as a man probably felt kind of uncomfortable with that, but he let her do it. Why? To make a point to Pharisees, these are the people I love. I'll love you too, but not if you come with clean hands and no bacon on your breath. That's not what saves you. What saves you is me. This really is all about Jesus. I want you to think back about the Christianity that you grew up in. If you remove Jesus Christ, do you still have organized Christianity? If you do, it's not Christianity. It's a Christian-type religion. I pray all the time, and I've prayed this before you, God, if we can do a Sunday morning without you, shut us down. What you, okay, moving on. Verse 18, Jesus responds, what's up with that parable, they asked. Don't you understand either? Silly little men. Can't you see that the food you put in your body can't defile you? That had to blow their minds. We were taught our whole life that it defiled us. I know, you kept listening to people. Food doesn't go into your heart, but only passes through the stomach, then it goes into the sewer. By saying this, he declared that every kind of food is acceptable in God's eye. Bring out the bacon, baby. <laughs> Woo, you guys are fun. And then he added, it is what comes from the inside that defiles you. Far or for, from within, um, out of a person's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these, things, uh, all these vile things come from within. They are what defile you. Let me, let me try to explain this, and then I've got to jam because we've got to get to communion. You are not under people, are not under condemnation or judgment because of what you do. Even sinful acts. They act sinfully because of what they are. The outward manifestations are tell you what is in. For instance, this morning, even as a child of God, actually, let me let Paul explain this to you, writing to Christians. Galatians chapter 1, 1 verse 1 through 21. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again to the slavery to the law. Listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make a religious act, circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'm going to add baptism, church attendance, walking an aisle, ritualistic hand washings, uh, being baptized in immersion in the right church, I'll say it again, if you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised or religious, you must obey every regulation of the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. In other words, you can choose self-righteousness or Jesus made righteous, but you can't have both. You have fallen away from God's grace. 
Wow. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait, uh, wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or uncircumcised. In other words, who cares? If your faith is in Christ, circumcision doesn't matter. What is important is faith expressing itself. Please note that. And he's going to say in love here, but it's faith expressing itself. The reason I act in a certain way is because of what I have become in Christ. You are running, you are running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you into freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings of legalism. I added that. God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say that I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, no one would be offended. I just wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would cut themselves up. Oh. I added the little Markism to that, but it says mutilate themselves. You know what he's talking about, right? See, the Bible isn't as clean as your Sunday school teacher told you it was. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching, you must be circumcised. I'm jumping back. Verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Oh, the other half of you just went, darn. How I live does matter. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, because beware of destroying one another. Okay, here it comes. This is the whole thing for this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Take that in. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. What are you saying, Paul? Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Not the law, not your religious leaders, the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you're not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are clear. Let me tell you what it looks like. Sexual immorality, uh, which includes porn, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. So if you think of your life right now and that describes you, you're not being led by the Spirit. It's as simple as that. Not because you have to not do these things to be saved, but because this is what it looks like to have the Spirit controlling your life. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I want to explain, not because those things send you to hell, but because they tell whether or not he's Lord of your life. Because it's, well, not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're actually defiled by what comes from your heart. See, we've been talking about, Jesus has been talking about the fruit of the Spirit's presence. That was the Sermon on the Mount. This is what, this is what it looks like to be part of my upside-down kingdom, not you do these things to be part of it, but this is what it looks like for somebody who's given control of their life to me, who boldly approaches my throne. This is what it looks like. On the other hand, this is what it looks like for those who are just religious. They may ceremonial wash their hands or attend, uh, attend uh, sabbatical services or rabbinical services. or the, On the Sabbath day, they may keep it holy. But in their hearts, they're still angry, quarrelsome, hateful. 
It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You're defiled by what comes from your heart. Verse 19, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. That sounds like a church annual business meeting to me. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22, but the Holy, Holy Spirit, what's that word? produces. It's an outgrowth of His presence. It's not, you better do this. It's the production of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Why is that true, Paul? Because those who belong to Christ have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to His cross and crucified Him there. All right, I'm going to make a very dangerous connection right here, and then we're going to go to communion. We're all kind of watching Kanye West right now, okay? I know it, so let's just get it out there. And some of us are concerned that it won't be long before some mega pastor puts him on his stage to preach on a Sunday morning. This boy's a baby in Christ, if he's saved. But I've got to tell you something. It's pretty remarkable to watch the transformation in the last six months. I mean, he looks like he's smiling more, and he's talking about God and Annie pointed out something to me yesterday. We were talking about this, and it's really interesting that you've got all these Christian artists who are trying to be as secular as they can, and you've got the secular artist going, I asked the production company who, who made this CD to stop having sex outside of marriage while we're making this CD to honor the Lord. I mean, can you imagine what Kardashian is thinking? Actually, he went to her and said, you need to dress more morally because it's a problem for all the people that I'm trying to tell God, about God and it's a problem for me. <laughs> Can you imagine Kardashians who are all about morality? This guy's got to be freaking the family out, but that's what happens when you give your life to the Lord. And look, we need to pray for him. Not follow him. Pray for him. Because you better believe that Satan's going to let Peter walk on water for a few feet, and then he's going to start. So pray for him. There's been lots of people, and I, like I said, I don't know if it's real or not. What I do know is there is a difference in that guy. And it's remarkable. And that's what it looks like to give your life to God. And it's hard for us because most of us got saved at six, six days old. I mean, it was, it, give, give or take a couple weeks. I mean, we, 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 we don't want to go to hell. We were told that, and then we got saved, and everybody celebrated, and then we got baptized, and the rest of our life is, have fun at prom. Maybe we should tell our kids prom is the most important thing and making the cheer squad and being the number one on the football team. Maybe the goal of life isn't to make as much money. Maybe the goal of life is actually to live for the Lord. Maybe that's the goal of life. Maybe the goal of life is to actually have less and serve more. Not so that you're saved, because that's the heart of God. Jesus Christ could have demanded all of his rights, but he did not. He actually gave them all up so that we could be saved. So that he could take time and explain this stuff to us. I have a lot of other verses, but we've got to have communion because you're going to have Bible study this morning. But it is a moment in this series, in this study, where we've got to take a breath and ask ourselves, am I just a religious Christian or do I love Jesus? What member of the crowd am I? You know, the truth is, um, and I'm going to ask the elders to come forward as we prepare to take our, offer, our, our offering. We'll do it twice today. Um, <laughs> as we prepare for communion, but we have to ask ourselves. If we were to, if we were to put our, our, our honesty on the table, uh, it is easier to be legalistic than it is to be spirit-filled. Did you know that? 
If I could present to you 10 things, if a good marriage is defined by a man and a woman, it's easier to have a good marriage than a man who serves his wife. If a good marriage is defined by God is actually a godly woman to a godly man, instead of dogging your husband all the time for not being what you want, you pray for him. That's a lot harder. If the church tells you five things you need to do as a parent, you can actually attack each other as parents because the other isn't doing what the pastor said, and you end up griping at each other than, than leaning on the Lord. You see, I, I actually believe that since Mount Sinai, we have decided it's easier to be legalistic than surrendered. That's why the Jews didn't want God to be king. They wanted a king that they could look at and argue with and convince. But when the Lord is your king, you don't get to argue. You have to do what the disciples did. Uh, Jesus, can we ask a question before we have dinner? What the heck are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that it's not about hot dogs or bacon. It's about your heart. So Jesus, are you telling me I can or cannot have bacon? Yes. That is not the answer, Jesus, I was looking for. I want a yes or a no. The answer is yes. Paul answered that. Did you know that? He said, when I'm with the Gentiles, I eat bacon. I'm adding bacon. He said, I have no law. When I'm with the Jews, I keep all the laws. So he does get to eat bacon. Only when it advances the gospel. So here's the answer, my secretly drinking friends. If you want a glass of wine, make sure it's to promote the kingdom. If not, keep it secret. Don't cause others to stumble. If you're drinking to prove you can, then it's not about God, is it? I know, that stinks. That's why we take the offering early. <laughs> I know, I get it, I'm with you. I don't like this any more than you. If God put me in charge, it'd be much cleaner. You guys, it's about Jesus. And he made it possible for us to trust him, even the difficulty. That's why the bread. Go ahead and pass this out, gentlemen. <laughs> I, I, want you to, I want you to remember that Scripture says that it is through the shedding of blood that our sin is forgiven. That's the image of, of the cup, right? This is grape juice. It's non-alcoholic. But this, uh, so why the bread? Why do we break bread? Why don't we just go right to the juice? Because God wants to remind you that he's not asking anything from you and I that he himself hasn't already done. For 33 and a half years, he was literally misunderstood, even by his closest crowd. One of his elders actually kisses him on the cheek and turns him in. Jesus said at least six times, I didn't come to do my own will, I came to do the will of my father. One of those times was a prayer to his father saying, I, I don't want to die. I don't want to die for these people. So if there's any other way, Father, to, to, to do this thing you want to do, then take this cup from me. But I love you and I trust you, so if this is the only way, I'm going to do it. And his prayer ended and they arrested him and he died on the cross. He gets it. Look, this is tough. But I got news for you. He's the only one that can save. He's the only one that can transform. The problem is that we look at a guy like Kanye West and we say it's going to get tough for him and so we pray for him. But it's just as tough for you because you live actually in a Christian culture that is misplacing Christianity with followers of Jesus. How tough is that? You ask anybody in our community. In fact, I challenge you to do this. Ask your, workers if, your, work, your, your work partners if they're, if they're Christians. And for those who say they will, ask, how do you know? And they're going to say, well, I go to Harmony Hill. I go to Carpenter's Way. I go to, you know, 
I go to the Lutheran church. That's good. I'm glad you go to church. That's really not my question. My question is, how do you know you're a Christian? Well, I, I prayed when I was five. I was baptized at Carpenter's Way Baptist Church at 10. That's good too. All good. Again, I asked you how you know you're saved. What are you asking? I'm asking how you know you're saved. You know, the New Testament and Jesus in particular and Paul said that the only way you know is by the fruit of the Spirit's presence. Not by walking an aisle or being baptized or going to church. The question isn't what you've done for God. The question is what is God doing for you? He's the only one that saves. When he separated the sheep and the goats, the goats, the unsaved, said, we prayed, we went to church. He said, the problem is I don't know you. It isn't whether we know God, it's whether he knows us. So run to him, boldly approach. Run to him. Are you saying, Pastor, I'm not saved? I'm saying, why are you worried about that? Run to the Savior whether you are or not. We have turned this literally into a question of heaven and hell when it really is a question of eternal life that starts now. I had a really cool opportunity recently to talk with somebody about this very thing. And their question was, am I really saved? And I'm starting to answer that dif differently now. Instead of going through a doctrinal dissertation on eternal security, I just told her to run to the Savior. If, if you're not sure where you are with Jesus during this study or, or this morning, I'm glad to answer questions as I understand them and all. But Satan wants you to come to me and not him. Jesus, I mean. He wants you to come to me. He wants you to meet with an elder, and we're glad to do that, but he wants you to meet with an elder and have a doctrinal conversation instead of a relational one with Jesus. If you're not sure you know the Savior this morning, then, or your life doesn't reflect it, or you're not sure who's in control, then instead of having a doctrinal conversation with a theologian, go to the Savior <laughs> right now. And I know there are people listening in deer stands. Man, your wife cannot save you. She may be a good Christian, but she can't save you. Run to the Savior in the deer stand. And then he'll let you kill a deer. That's a promise. That's how this works. You get whatever you want if you give your life to Christ. Amen? You groaned. You're right. That's not how it works. But you do get a relationship with the King of Kings who sent his son to die for you. Let's run to Jesus, my friends. And I know it's scary, Brother West. But what's coming Although painful, he's already walked there on our behalf. So we can still cling to him, even when it gets tough. That's why we do the bread, to remind us that we do not walk this alone. Let's take it in remembrance of his life. Father, thank you for going before us and being our example. Now make us want to follow you in suffering and in celebration. In your name we pray, amen. If you're a child of God this morning, why don't you talk to your father? Just talk to him. Because I want to talk to those who may not know the Lord. Scripture says that as often as we do this, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So I, I want to make it clear for those of you who may or may not know Jesus. 
It is the blood of Jesus Christ that forgives sin. It's not religiosity or church membership or water baptism. If you have been taught that water baptism saves you, go back to Galatians, I just read it, and refer to circumcision. It's it's the modern day circumcision. What saves you is what saved the thief on the cross. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. You are the only one. You don't deserve this. You are the only one here who doesn't deserve this. Just, Just be my Lord. Just be the Lord. Just remember me. And the Lord looked at him and said, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was what it was in his heart, not what came out of his mouth. It's not being Baptist or being religious that saves you. It is Jesus Christ. And this morning I plead with you, run to Jesus. You tell him what you need and what you want. He says, all who come to me, I will not cast you out. He loves you. But he will not accept you unless you come repentant. It's just how it works. He will save you from your sin. He will send his Holy Spirit to transform you. Let's be quiet for a moment and just just talk to the Lord. sing that chorus or am I putting you on a weird spot? Boldly I approach. just saying, into the arms of majesty. This wasn't just some humble Joseph Carpenter boy. This was majesty who humbled himself and took the form of a servant. That's why he's misunderstood. So that all who want can run to him. Whether you're saved or unsaved, run to him this morning. I know that sounds weird. Why would I need to run to him if I'm saved? Because this is a relationship. It's not rules. It's not hand cleansing or church attendance. It's a relationship. And he invites you to boldly approach his throne. One more time. Boldly I approach your throne. Blameless now I'm running home And by your blood I come Welcomed as your own Into the arms of majesty Because of that, we can drink this grape juice today and be reminded that our salvation is secure in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, thank you for grace. Amen. God bless you guys.
Bible study is going to start in 10 minutes.